Hi, everybody. Welcome to another podcast in Trek and Babble. This is Matthew. And this is Kevin. And we're going to do part two of Year of Hell. Uh, we just are hot off the heels of part one. Uh, we sort of grudgingly gave it a five, thought it was, uh, it, it didn't answer all the questions it asked, but then what part one of a show does, uh, it was well acted with lots of great production values and at least a very brain-teasing story. Um, and why don't we just dive in, huh? All right. So get your media ready and press play in three, two, one, press play. Okay, we're doing our previous slice. Um How do you feel about this sort of jewel thing on the ship? Well, uh, like I said in the last podcast, I just watched Batman and Robin, which the villain kept going after diamonds so i i get that that villains like jewels like that's that's a pretty stick <laughs> well i mean i guess it's supposed to like focus the beam which we have our questions about does this beam just destroy life on a planet does it reach back in time to erase things from the planet i don't know it's neat looking here's a reprise of some of the nifty effects from the first episode that was actually the, the least successful of the effects because you can see a bit of the seam under the um, explosion. Boy, they're really sort of <laughs> quickly going through this episode. Because yeah. this is the end where she tells everybody to evacuate. Um, this was a nice shot, of course, of the escape pods. I like the notion of retreating to a nebula, of course. Yeah. Which... Gives us nice echoes of Star Trek Two, and uh, Best of Both Worlds. Oh yes, indeed, a Class Nine Nebula. I do. Ha I, I don't know. Like I, I like the notion that they're in this rickety ship, and so they're leaking. But if it's leaking in, shouldn't stuff also be leaking out? Uh, I don't know. How did all the gas get inside? It's a malfunction in the ventilation system. I, Having just watched The Martian, which was a little more rigorous about yeah. stuff, stuff yeah. like this, I, I have my questions. Yeah, there are no small problems in space. But they are wearing these, these nice masks. Now they're going to reverse the osmotic pressure. So there must be some kind of membrane or yeah. <laughs> thing that can let things in and out of the ship, which also seems like not a good idea when you're talking about a spaceship. Maybe it's the osmotic pressure between decks or something. It's an even bigger mess now. I guess they have fewer people to clean up, so okay. So, Kevin, you were saying in the previous episode you liked the sort of the screws that they're turning yeah. on Janeway. Yeah, and her uh, coal miner cough there was really good. Yeah. Like, <laughs> Like, that sounded phlegmatic. Well, and she's doing the sort of uh, captains are the worst patients, yeah. you know, uh, trope. I, I like the view screen uh, being disabled. That yeah, nice well, that's that's something we very rarely see, right? I also like that it's not a window. Yeah. But let's not go there. <laughs> a nice line reading on I.I. 
his autonomous emitter uh, seems to be uh, very durable, have yeah. lots, lots of juice. So as far as a teaser goes, I mean, I guess the teaser is just trying to indicate, number one, how desperate things are, but also, number two, uh, what they've been reduced to in terms of true numbers. I mean, so far we've only seen Janeway, Belana, Harry, and the Doctor. I do have questions, of course, of why it would always be the... The main cast who's left on the ship and the contracts. You know, it's, it's well, a, yeah. <laughs> I, mean, I know the real reason. I'm just thinking of the in-universe story reason, right? Because there must be people who are very good at things who could have been left, or there must have been reasons that command crew should be off the ship with the other people, right? I mean, so going in, what questions do you want answered? see i'm trying to separate uh i'm trying to like pretend i don't know what's going to happen uh i suppose i want to know how they're going to get back to zero like yeah. what is the what how will the reset button work here and will it be satisfying what it does you want to know anorax's motivation i presume i mean they hinted at it with him sort of uh stroking his little chamber of a lock of hair in the first episode um like, do you care about the Krenum? Do you want them to be restored? Do you want them to no. be destroyed? Uh, they seemed like dicks when they were in charge, so... Yeah. So you kind of want them to get their comeuppance or something? Yeah. Okay. And so Tuvok has been blinded. You're presuming that that's going to go away? Yeah. Yeah. That's a very strategically placed light. <laughs> it's very dramatic. I'm assuming John Loprano is playing Obrist. Here's uh, Space Food. Uh, they they do a pretty good job of making yeah. foreign-looking delicacies. Yeah. Especially on Voyager, I would say. No doubt he's making himself difficult. I've never seen such an intransigent young man. I don't know. Does Tom Paris strike you as intransigent? He strikes me as someone who would, like, be a, a snotty yeah. and annoying. But I wouldn't go as so far as intransigent. I could see Chakotay being intransigent. Civilian <coughs> wear is not bad on Chakotay. It looks a little blousy on Paris. Well, Paris is sort of wearing it further down, too. So, <laughs> I do have my questions about, like preserving the delicacies of races that we are going to obliterate. Malkothian spirits, the only bottle known to exist. So has he drunk all the other ones? Because, he, I mean, he must know what it is, right? Yeah. I wonder what the little doodads on his costume are. Well, I assume the one on the shoulder is just some kind of rank insignia. Right, well, I mean, it's, well... It is an alien race, so I don't know what kind of rank insignia they would use. Maybe medals. It sort of looks like a terrine or a spring roll, or I don't know what that is. Okay, so here you go, Kevin. You did mention 
altering history to try to help Voyager on its trip. He can control the destiny of a single molecule or an entire civilization. <coughs> How did he save the bottle? Did they have it on board they had to, yeah. before they wiped yeah. out the race? Yeah. Well, also, why does that, like, the, the episode eventually makes it clear that the lock of his wife's hair has to be in that little chrono box so why doesn't the wine unless it's like replicated and only he knows the pattern hmm. <laughs> that would be interesting <sighs> that's a good question why is the tear different than the food <sighs> anyway as far as science fiction goes whatever you want to question about it it's certainly a poetic and interesting device to have your feast of delicacies from yeah Lost no World. he's he's very captain nemo that's that that that's the word I, that's what i've been groping for the entire podcast uh this is very twenty thousand leagues under the sea in a way nemo is this detached but civilized captor yeah R ruthless but not unnecessarily cruel like he doesn't derive pleasure from wiping out the world he just thinks it's necessary I don't know why they didn't stick with this hairdo for Ferris. This is actually working for him. You know, it's a little tousled, uh, hiding his widow's peak pretty well. Yeah, yeah, he he loses his hair at an increasingly fast clip. Uh. <laughs> well, and I know the advice is often you're supposed to make it shorter that de-emphasize, I don't know. Uh, but I'm liking this look. Yeah. And I just want to point out that we're talking about a male's hairdo now. Just like we talked about Janeway's hairdo previously. <laughs> so Chakotay is interested, you know? Could you restore Voyager without harming anybody else? And it, I, what I, so, could they do that wouldn't harm? All we've seen right now is the erase civilization uh, right, button. Right. You know? See this little puppy? I'm going to erase it from time. That's <laughs> the, like just nothing else. I, it makes sense to me that Chakotay would at least consider it. Because as a Maquis member, he is an ends justify the means yeah. kind of guy. Yeah. And so I really like the... I mean, of course, Tom Paris has never been a you know, completely straight arrow, right? But um, anyway, it's it's nice that Chakotay is the guy yeah. who's, who's being given this dilemma, right? He's a thinker, maybe too much so, an anthropologist, a rebel, you know... He's willing to consider alternatives. Yeah. He's more of a relativist. He's more of a... Uh, you seem to understand the subtleties of time. Does he? I failed this course in temporal mechanics. You know, th this Yet is, you were a Starfleet commander. Right? It's one of those, like, they, sell, they, they oversell how difficult the Academy is. Like, yeah. if, if all of your... Like, Picard failed to get it on his first try, Crusher did... Like, if all of these people can't get in and can't succeed, but are apparently also the cream of the crop, your school's too hard. Yeah. Like. <laughs> it's like he's drinking out of a beaker. Anyway, here's our Voyager coffee cups. So we've got Bellana, Harry, Seven, Neelix. Interesting. Tuvok, Janeway, the Doctor. 
basically the main cast minus Paris. I call it the elixir of endurance. Janeway's like, fuck this. <laughs> Give me coffee. It's an interesting shot from inside the kitchen. Nice line reading by Jerry Ryan. Has it really been a few days since they've gathered in one place? I mean, there's only this many people on the ship, and the ship is supposed to be seriously damaged, right? Are people, like, doing stuff 24-7? Yeah, I can see that. I'm just... I'm sort of... They abandoned ship. You know? Yeah. And yet they're sitting here with potentially three weeks, four weeks, five weeks, ten weeks, several months of not dying. You know? Why couldn't the whole crew have been in this nebula with them? Right? Well, I, I wouldn't think they have done things more efficiently? Well, I think it was that life support wouldn't sustain a hundred people. Alright. So Janeway is itchy. She wants to get going. <coughs> See, now he's holding her other arm. So one criticism I've heard leveled against this two-parter is that they do such interesting character development and then reset it. Well, that, that's, that's the complaint about Voyager writ large. Course of Oblivion is a beautiful episode. That deletes itself, literally. Like so, you know. As an example, you know, having Tuvok be Seven's mentor. Yeah, this is instead of Cass's. Yeah, it's an interesting callback to that, but it also makes a lot of sense because both, Tuvok is an outsider too. Right, they're both dispassionate, emotionless people. He would be most able to set aside his qualms about her status as a board. This is one of the lines that nagged me. We cor corrected course to avoid an asteroid. And then kept going? Like, it, just go around the... It's, it, 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 so you it's, go around, and then you just keep going on right. the previous course, right? Eh. Like, I could... Maybe if it were, like, a black hole or something. It's just, like... <laughs> <laughs> that being said, I, I like the conversation it engenders. It is a very science fiction-y conversation. That seems like things really changed based on that comment. All life within 50 light years would never have existed. 8,000 civilizations. And he's laughing about it. Well, he's like a Bond villain. Like, one of the better <laughs> Bond villains. Like Fragments from that comic impacted a planet. Hydrocarbons from those fragments gave rise to several species. I mean... This is good no, that's, science that's fiction very science fiction stuff. Because you're not only talking about the whole history of the comet, you're talking about sort of like panspermia, you're talking about, you know, it's just really interesting stuff. And Robert Paltran, <coughs> who has received his fair share of 
criticism for sort of checking it out sometimes. Definitely seems engaged yeah. with the material. He's not the world's best techno babbler, but... But he can give the emotional... Yeah, like when you give him something to do. Yeah. So, here's our history. Anorax created the idea. He's the scientist who sort of originated the technology. He turned it against their greatest enemy, the real Nar. But, you know, received his cosmic comeuppance, right? There were problems. A rare disease broke out among our colonies. 50 million dead. And again, this is interesting science fiction right, stuff, too. Right, totally. The Krenum genome and the real NAR genome had enough interaction that an antibody was eliminated. That's fascinating stuff. Now, well, he doesn't go so far as to say, and my wife was killed. But I think we can, you know... Well, that's what's clearly being implied here. See, gone, brought back, gone again. I want to know the mechanism of how they brought things back. Did they... <sighs> I, look, I suppose you could just explain it with the line of dialogue. Like, we can fire our weapon such that it can... Uh, nullify. Nullify previous firings of the yeah. weapon. You know? Really nice acting. Yeah. Kermit Smith pretty it's, much it's, takes It's very ass. quiet. You mean, Kevin, that you can impart drama and force and will and drama without shouting? and No, shouting and explosions are the only way I communicate. Running and jumping across chasms and punching things? <laughs> I bet you would use the starship on J.J. Abrams without care for the consequences. J.J. Yeah. <laughs> Abrams introduced a vital antibody. Meaningless! <laughs> <laughs> Need to create temporal incursions such that Ron Moore and Brandon Braga are given the new Star Trek movies. Hmm. Micrometeoroids. Which would be a danger if the deflector weren't working. Which kind of raises the question why you moved right. <laughs> in the first place if you didn't have this thing on your ship that's supposed to swat away the micrometeoroids. micrometeoroids. Kate Mulgrew is a good physical actor. Yeah. I'm trying to remember, Macrocosm hasn't happened yet, right? No. Like, not yet. Something that always nags me about uh, fire on TV shows, opening the door to the hallway should have caused the fire to burst out into the hallway because of the fresh supply of oxygen. Yeah, well, you know. There should also be smoke, and it's fun, and I get it. You need to see the screen. Well, but... it makes me wonder what's burning, right? Yeah. You know, what what combustible elements are there on this ship? <laughs> Jane to Bridge, I'm in our gasless fireplace room. Like, it just... <laughs> well, and so in any given spaceship, there's going to be electrical equipment, yeah. right? And this these kinds of things can, can catch on fire, but it's a very different kind of fire than the open orange flame fire. Right. You know? Also, like, given that giving an area oxygen is difficult on a ship, you figure that would Just be suck the oxygen. right. That would be your primary needs of fire suppression. They need to reverse the osmotic pressure. I guess. Yeah. 
good bird makeup, but she should her hair should not be there. But again, it's well, TV. She burned herself in just the right spots. <laughs> okay, this is the most interesting scene of the episode. So he's able to heal most of the birds, except enough for dramatic to, to have us remember that they happen. Her clothes must have survived most of the yeah. the burning too. I mean, I guess it's what did McCoy say they're made out of? Nyloxine or something? Yeah. Third degree burns to approximately sixty percent of your body. How did he heal them without a dermal regenerator if the dermal regenerator is what's necessary to finish the yeah, job? Yeah. Like, uh, Probably with inapropylene, I yeah, guess. Yeah, I'll, I'll accept it. Just, But this is the, the... This is what's interesting to me. Like, how far... Like, what would Captain Picard have done in this situation? Or, you know, like, Kirk or Sisley. Just, there's something like... Uh, <laughs> I love him laying out all of her mental health problems, which to us are evident. <laughs> well, and so you can see how they're both to some degree right. Yeah. You know, she is actually in this situation where she does need to be obsessed yeah. with saving her crew and fixing her ship. But he's right too, of course. That threat, and this is a great line, the threat in itself is evidence of an unstable condition. And then she walks it back. I did not think before I spoke. I mean, it was like... <laughs> Have a seat. And she raises good objections. <laughs> you can't stop me. Before I give up command, you'll have to shoot me. And this is sort of the, the weakest comeback. Yeah, yeah. It's like, well, I'm going to note it in my log. And they've done this in other Star Trek episodes, so it's not... Uh... Why did he think she would agree to, like, several days of observation? You know, it seems like he should have strategized <laughs> and said, you know, you'll stay with me for 12 hours. You know, six hours. Or I'm going to sedate you so you can get a good night's sleep. Or, or something like that, right? Yeah. Gravitational plating in this room has buckled. Why aren't they floating? I think they're walking by rooms and she's like ticking off stuff. Oh, I see. Okay. So gravitational plating is what makes you sort of stick to the floor, I guess. Yeah. I wonder how that works. Metachlorians, uh, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, maybe like Higgs bosons or something. <laughs> which had not been discovered at this yeah. point. Yeah. They've been hypothesized, though, right? Yes, they have been hypothesized. Ah, the watch. 
I like the uh, objet de art with what looks like uh, like Southwest Cave painting like a Nazi paintings. It's always a little nebulous what tribe Chakotay belongs to. The Space Indians. Some really nice emotional acting yeah. for Kate Mulgrew. I mean, she was being all hard ass at the time, but now she misses Chicote, of course. What do you think? Handsome. <laughs> Such a Neelix thing to say. This game looks interesting. It looks like it looks like checkers with some stuff on it. Kind of like, <laughs> or Othello. Yeah. Or... It seemed logical. Okay, so Oberus is reminiscing about his brother. I used to honor the day of his birth. My well, it's it's interesting here because it's like this was one of our criticisms of two thousand nine. Like, you have a ship being commanded by the charismatic, powerful leader with a grand plan, but that doesn't mean everyone on board is as committed every second of the day. Wait, Kevin, are you saying that Star Trek, Voyager, Deep Space Nine, TNG, the original series, are more <laughs> nuanced than the new movies? Are you going so far as to make that claim that there is more depth yeah. of characterization, more uh, accommodation for different perspectives? Yeah. Well, like, it even makes sense because both those characters are acting out of the same desire. The, the, they, they miss their families. It's what drives uh, <clears throat> Anorax to action, and it's what makes Oberus question it. Like, that's, that's complicated. Like, in any, even if you gave uh, Anorax, uh, I keep wanting to say Axonum because I've been reading about it lately. If you keep giving Anorax a pass for what he's doing, it almost means you have to give Oberus a pass for what he'll eventually do. Like, there's there's no, like, it, it, that's interesting and complex and fun to shake out. Incredible. It makes, it makes sense that one person driven to this, to the set of actions Anorax takes to save his family would drive Oberus to the same extremes and kevin are you going so far as to make the claim that this nuance and 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 stuff <laughs> even with all these talky boring scenes is more interesting to you than star trek 2009 and star trek I, into darkness I, I am making that claim you're like, making that claim. i mean really ha had the room been exploding around them but not caused them any injury that might have helped my emotional processing of it maybe, maybe some lens flare but you know and so by the same token, Tom and Chakotay are not on the same page. I don't have an instinct for time, or whatever it is Captain Nemo over yeah. there calls it. So again, a lot of nice call-outs here. Yeah, so there's a lot of really interesting character dynamics going on here. You're not doing anything against Anorex. That's an order. Well, see, even this is fun. Like, it's super interesting watching whether or not a hierarchical command structure survives 
absence from the hierarchy. Yeah. It's the question I wish Voyager were asking in a more meaningful way. But Do you think they should have actually had a fist fight, or is that argument enough to truly yeah. deter Tom? Yeah. Um, Does I he think, think he can't take Chakotay? No, I, I think he respects Chakotay enough that at least, like, until Obris comes up to him and says, hey, I got a way to do it. Like, uh, like, I think Tom knows that even if they do it his way, he doesn't have to do it right this second. And then, obviously, that pays off in a few seconds when we see Anorax overplay his hand with Chakotay. Yeah. Well, I mean, Anorax does not know. He's oblivious to the emotional undercurrents right. of both his crew and his guests, right? Which makes sense. Because he's... He's obsessed. He's monomaniacal. Yeah. Diminishing. The color job on the planets as they transition is, is really well done. Well, it's like the atmosphere changes. Yeah. My chambers. Like he's a judge or something. See, and that's good. Like, this is credible dialogue between the two characters. He's made his point, and he knows he doesn't have to do more. Yeah. But I, I like that Tom is... He's, like, morally outraged. Yeah. You know? And his ethical view is such that there's there's no amount of benefit that can justify. Right. Whereas Chakotay is, you know, he's, he's a little more nuanced, right? One species is significant. And so you wonder how much Anorax is playing Chakotay versus how much he's actually revealing his inner thoughts, right? Yeah. I also like that it leaves it a little ambiguous, like, how much of this is his his innate personality and worldview? How much of this was an impact of this experience? Like, was he always a little monomaniacal yeah. jackass? Or I love this dialogue that Chakotay has figured out on his own. Yeah. This one element that Anorax is trying to calculate for, right? Yeah. And with her, my future children, grandchildren. Uh, yeah, I mean, this story really works. Well, and now we have, we have like, an extra layer. Like, we knew it from context, and, you know, obviously, it's, like well, I he, said... He had missed, he, yeah. he'd lost someone. We didn't know who. Yeah, you know. he's Mr. Freeze, and we knew. Um, but I, I like that, in addition to what started as, like, like what was revealed to us, it wasn't just generic uh, trying to restore his people and guilt about that. It's guilt about it. Like, there's... A lot of emotions going on, and some of them conflict, and some of them overlap, and that's interesting. This dialogue is really interesting, too. Anger, desire for retribution, vengeance. He's attributing this to time, to the universe, you know? Time has tried to punish me for my arrogance, right? I, I, and I like the way he he's doing a good acting job where you really start to question his sanity. Yeah. Does the rest of his crew know 
about Keanu Prime? Well, they is have. It, they, is, no, is it only Obris, though? Maybe. Like, I feel like... I mean, I, I'm digging the episode quite a bit, but maybe one conversation with just Anorax and Obris, yeah. in which Anorax keeps Obris in line or tries to keep him in line. What does he have on Oberst? Like, why has Oberst been doing this for 200 years? Is he a patriot? Is he trying to get something back? You know. And I kind of, I, I, I wish, I almost wish he were trapped here with another Starfleet officer or even Janeway herself. Like, I want someone who can kind of throw in Chakotay's face when it was you protecting your family and the things you valued. You literally brought the Alpha Quadrant to the brink of its most destructive war in generations. Like, someone needs to, like, I just think, it, it, they've always undercooked the Maquis plot line in Voyager generally, and I think it would have been fun to watch someone engage Dakota about his past on this. It would have been fun. And Tom is frankly calling out, you know, yeah. he's, he's insane, he's megalomaniacal, he's paranoid. Temporal core. I'm pretty sure I can disable that. Not without setting off every alarm on the ship. So, yeah, I mean... Tom doesn't know that Janeway's alive, but Chakotay does. I think it's one of those, you know, I, I, I would feel it or I can, I disbelieve it. Like well, I, it's, He should be able to scan for it, right? Yeah. Okay, so they found some allies, the Nahydran and the Mawasi. Do the Nahydran and the Mawasi know about the Krenum? Do they just hate the Krenum for the Krenum? Or do they know about the time ship? Or, like, why have they joined this coalition, you know? I'm not, I'm not totally against the idea, you know. They're going to assemble a fleet to try to take out the time ship. I wonder why she's not wearing her jacket. Was it burned beyond saving? Well, no, she was in the... Um tank top from the top of the episode. Oh, okay. I assume Kate Mulgrew had hit the gym and wanted to show it off. Yeah. She's done a good job. Your skills will no doubt be required. Alright, so let's just spoil it so we can talk about it. I mean, destroying the temporal ship is going to reset everything. How does that work, exactly? Well, I don't think she doesn't believe, knows that right away. No, I'm yeah. not saying yeah. they know that, yeah. I'm, I'm, for some reason... It does. No, what? 
I, that does raise the question of why they're trying to destroy the time ship, right? I mean, does she have some inkling that if she can... Well, I think she just wants to get Chakotay and okay. Tom back, so attacking the core will at least disable it. Okay. But then why does it revert things back to the way they were? So the time ship is what created the large, powerful Krenum Imperium in the first place. Yes. Because the time ship eliminated their first oh, antibody-containing enemy. But then it was the back and forth that led to the fluctuation of their situation. Voyager came into the scene when the Krenum were weak, but then was under attack when the Krenum were strong. So eliminating the possibility of strong Krenum completely would eliminate the damage to Voyager. Okay. Well, I just read it as the ship was destroyed at this, like, because of its weird place outside the timeline, destroying it at any time destroyed it throughout its entire timeline. Yeah, so, so never, it never did what it did. Right. But would that really would that really be the case? I mean, if you can destroy the ship, that means you have access to it in your time. Well, that's what that's what disabling the shields around the temporal core will do. And they say they've been at it for 200 years, you know? So... This is a very tender moment we're, yeah. we're having here. I, I like it. Nice moment. When, you know, she plays the emotion of caring for crew members really well, especially when she has deep relationships yeah. with. And Tuvok, of course, is basically her most trusted confidant. You know? Anyhow, I, I'm just trying to justify to myself the idea that destroying the time ship doesn't just stop future changes and does stop past changes from ever having have happened. And when you destroy the time ship, where does Voyager pick up? Does Voyager pick up right at the beginning, 365 days ago, on day one? Of the prior episode, yeah, right? yeah. I don't know. I guess we needed more, more information, more, uh, just, you know, two more lines of dialogue to indicate why this would happen. You know, I mean, there are. There's been work in theoretical physics about wormholes and time travel that indicate that the math could possibly work out if you could generate enough energy and create strong enough gravity that you could create a wormhole, and the wormhole would create time-like curves that would allow you to travel back in time to the initial creation point of the wormhole, but not before. And so... Given that, I could see destroying it at some point in the future would destroy those curves going into the past, and so anything you did would be sort of undone. I don't know. Multiple incursions. 
how do they aim this thing fast enough to, to shoot a bunch of ships, you know? Because it seems like they have to go through their, you know, jewelly eyepiece <laughs> thing. Some nice choreography indicating the size of the temporal ship. How many crew do you think they have on this thing? We only ever see this bridge, you know. That's a couple of dozen, maybe. Yeah. Tuna hydrogen vessels have been destroyed. It's like, okay, guys, don't go in, in front, front of the yeah. ship. <clears throat> You know, like, does Oberst think that he wants to die? Or does he think, given his understanding of time, that things will just be reset and the Oberst... I'd say I don't think he cares. ...that started before this mission will just continue his life? Like, I, I think he just wants off the ship. Like, I think he wants to stand. I'm sorry, sir, it's over. All right, they're phasing back into normal space-time. But they were visible. <laughs> yeah, well, that's always been super shaky. Yeah. Like, how did how did Roe and Jordy breathe when they were out of phase? Just, just saying. All right. Conventional weapons. Uh-oh. Very nice effects. Yeah, really cool shot. And that burning looked like the kind of mechanical burning you would expect from the outside, from the exterior. Yeah. Very good space acting. I wonder what she... Oh, the crud she's crawling on, too. Yeah. So part of the bridge has been sheared, but the field is <laughs> the torpedo launchers and whatever torpedoes we had left. Are yeah. Maybe they got new torpedoes from the fleet. All of history might be restored. Yeah, this is a Hail Mary pass, which I'm glad they phrased it that way rather than her having... And she knows it, yeah. yeah. <laughs> That's not a bad party line, and this is a great shot. Like, this is just an incredibly well-staged piece of uh, effect work. I always kind of felt like it should have impacted the round globey part of the ship yeah me too that's it's a very nerd thing to say no not no and then slow-mo uh... i think it would have been more dramatic if it were a bit like a magic trick like as soon as it shattered it just disappeared 
So maybe, maybe it didn't need to be in the doodad while the shields were up. But when they're in normal space-time, it would need to be in a thing in the bottom. So, so all, all the booze so is he, gone. Yeah. So <laughs> he, he was only keeping it in there just in case things oh, 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 that went is some, a little perfect. That is some top-notch justification. <laughs> and here's our actor from the first episode. And he's nice. Yeah, or at least civil. Well, he, right. He's had a good journey. Right, and and she and she's chipper. I don't know if it's just relative comparison, but it almost feels like she's consciously pitching her acting at a more, you know, just another day on the Starship Voyager. You know, just just you know. Well, actually, she was acting like that at the beginning of yeah. the first episode. She had a very chipper. Uh... So here, really good mat work yeah. for this kind uh, of city. And a very nice set design. We've seen she was the crazy projection from the the lady who was trying to oh uh, get Tuvok. Yeah, Alice? No, that no, was wasn't Alice. It was a different one. But vis a vis, no, that's a Tom Paris one. I know who you're talking about. Anyway, really nice set designs. Uh, you know, interesting wardrobe you know good props uh and here he is working on timelines and stuff so i read him or i read the wife convincing him to like put down the work for the afternoon and go take a walk as like an indication that the timeline would be different this time through like i didn't read that as like the ominous like because otherwise we like would just, he's gonna redo it right because otherwise we would just be in a epic causality Yeah, I mean, why would it be uh, delayed, I guess, as opposed to just completely different, right? Yeah. Um, hmm. Yeah, I mean, I took it that he was going to be different. Oh, you know what? She's not the same actress. Uh, her name's Lee Sims. But she is not also the creepy projection. She just looks very similar. Okay. Nonetheless, yeah, I mean, the emotional feeling that you get is that now things are reset, and somehow Anorax has sort of learned his lesson. Or yeah, yeah, like... Can like, we really take it as that, though? Well, I, I even took it as more just... Like, I've always had this question, like, if you go back in time and re-experience the timeline, are you guaranteed that the same random events will all pan out the same way? Hmm. Like, if I go back in time and flip the coin again... Why is there? Because if you if going back in time and re-experiencing the event, but still produces the same random result, that starts to tread on this idea that there's like a predestination that the coin must flip this way. Yeah. So I just read it as time just happened to run differently in this iteration. Time has moods, and yeah, its mood is better now. Yeah, we we got it some uh some time Prozac or whatever, and now it's not as pissed off. Hmm. Um. No, yeah, I just read it as, I read that as a clear indication that this time, like, he will not continue to work as before. Well, if he creates the technology for the time ship and for the temporal weapon, and then 
he goes through a timeline in which he uses it and then it's destroyed and destroying it somehow destroys all the things that it did maybe destroying it makes it like not work or something uh, at its inception yeah. and so it's like in the previous timeline he would have like hooked the switch on and everything would come humming to life and then be like oh cool I'm going to try this out but now that it's been destroyed at some point the, the sort of the, or, or, or like the, the worm the time the time space yeah. worm of its existence is now sort of nullified and it can't work in the same way. Well, that or it could almost be like a like a like he flips it on, experiences the entire run of it, and then comes back to where he started realizing, oh, bad plan, turning it back off. Like, no, I don't feel like it's con. It's not internally. Conscious. He doesn't seem conscious. Yeah, of yeah. All the bad stuff. I'm just I'm just positing that maybe for some reason whatever initial iteration of the weapon that he made now just won't work. Hmm, interesting. Because some, something about destroying it in the yeah. future no, I, alters I, it in the past. I guess you're saying. So, like, yeah, however you slice it, I think we agree the emotional tone of that scene was to indicate he will not continue to work. Yeah, that's what I'm getting from it. I mean, he's interested in time still, and that's what he's doing his research on, but his wife wants to get busy, and he's, like, less distracted. Yeah, yeah. Because I think they said something, like, well, that was one of his lines about how, you know, he focused on this exclusively. Yeah. Yeah. So... I, that's why I'm getting the feeling that something about the work has changed yeah. so that he's not focusing on it as exclusively. Um, Interesting. I mean, it, it reminds me of the way that on sort of popular science shows they talk about uh, causality paradoxes never being able to happen. Like something will always prevent you from killing your grandfather or whatever, mm -hmm. right? And so it's like the events of Year of Hell Parts 1 and 2 have somehow now prevented... The weapon from ever being used in the first place um okay so uh, i mean there's a lot of great writing in this the the character dynamics are so interesting with chakotay with paris with the doctor with the captain yeah. with anorax with obrist i mean really well done really yeah well it, it, everyone had opposing points of view neither of which were absurd and the, the 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 conflict caused interesting drama. Uh, good dialogue, you know, good sci-fi, you know, sort of uh, ways of realizing things. I mean, so I'm thinking about the the feast of extinct delicacies, and you know, the the lock of hair, and especially the dialogue between Chakotay and Anorax, you know, trying to convince each other. And the, actually, you know, between Chakotay and Paris, I mean, yeah. their debates were excellent, excellent. So I, I, I don't, and I, I think they sold it enough so that the reset does not feel cheap. Yeah, yeah, like, it, it, I am fine with a reset when it feels earned, much, much like uh, comparing Kirk's resurrection to Spock's resurrection. <laughs> Sir, <laughs> Search for Spock, like, I get it. Spock died, and then he wasn't dead. But the process of getting us to that point cost Kirk dearly. Yeah, yeah. And much the same way, like, Janeway experienced something awful, the end of which was this Hail Mary she couldn't possibly know would work. So, like, yeah, it really feels like it was earned in a way. Yeah, so, 
I, I get the criticism that the interesting stuff that transpired in the past two now episodes did not happen yet. Now has not changed the characters in ways that we would like, but there's no reason they can't mine some of that for echoes in the future. Yeah. Um, it's it's just a really good self-contained story. You know, these two episodes taken as a piece are super interesting. Yeah, yeah. They're good sci-fi, they're good dialogue, they're good acting, and they're everyone acted credibly based on the character sketches we've been given to this point. So I, I gotta say the writing's a five, even yeah. with the reset at the end. Yeah. And I think... Uh, well, also, I don't think they had uh, over-leaned on the, uh, the reset button at this point yet. No, I agree with that. So... As far as acting goes, I mean, Kurtwood Smith was fabulous. Uh, but then so was Robert Beltran. This was probably Robert Beltran's best episode in a long time. Long time. Uh, I thought Robert Duncan McNeil was excellent. As far as the Voyager crew, only really Janeway and the Doctor got a lot. Yeah. I would say. I mean, the others got things to do, but yeah. not, not deep scenes yeah. to really act out. Uh, I mean, Janeway and Tuvok got their little emotional moment, and that was good. Um, but overall, the acting was quite superb. Yeah. Even Oberst got to be interesting. Yeah. His scene playing the, you know, alien chess game with Tom Paris was really pretty good. Yeah. And he really delivered the lines talking about the regret in an interesting way. Yeah. And... Uh, it was a pretty darn good episode as far as production values. Yeah, go. the the two ships crashing and then Voyager crashing into the time ship. Super well done. I liked the banquet at the beginning. You know, mm. it, it had a lot of visual interest. Uh, I liked the costumes that they put uh, Chakotay and Paris in. <sighs> the damage, you know, okay. It just got old. But the contrast between the damage and then the restored ship at the yeah. end was yeah. quite visually jarring. Uh, so it really worked. Uh, you know what? I gotta call this a five all around. It, it's better than the first part. No, I agree. It, it delivers idea-wise. Yeah, my, my, my question going into this was, am I going to give it a five-five or a four-five? Because like, I, I, I think I knew I was going to give this a five coming in. It, just, it has it all. It has... Incredibly, intelligently, well-constructed drama, great acting, great production values. It's a just a super interesting two hours to watch. And it really didn't hinge much on Seven of Nine. Yeah. Uh, which some people might say season four is like, you know, it's like, oh, well, what can we, you know, how can we run Seven of Nine through the ringer now? Yeah. What kind of flashback can she have now? This really had nothing yeah, to do with it. Yeah, they didn't need a conversation of her. When you freed me from the collective, right. you said X, but now you're doing Y. Like, <laughs> they haven't really created that trope yet. Um, <laughs> if it was today, we'd call it a meme. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I have no... Yeah, I, I I was waffling between the four and the five in the first part. I am solidly in five on the second part. Okay. Well, so, wow. Uh would you say this is the best stretch of Voyager today? Yeah, like, we... Phage and Death Wish, like, Death Wish engages a more complex idea in a more sort of philosophically satisfying way, but I would say that these two hours taken together 
are like the like Phage is a very Star Trek episode. Death Wish is a very Star Trek episode. This is a Star Trek episode, but I feel like this would be the two-parter I would show people if I wanted them to watch Voyager. I would say, like, here's here's something you should watch. Hmm. And would you say that this is better than Future's End? Ooh, yes. Because Future's End is a lot of fun. It's a lot of fun in, like, a like a very Star Trek four kind of way, but I feel it doesn't, it doesn't engage character drama quite as directly. By the way, Macrocosm was in season three. So. Okay, I was, I knew, I was like, I swear to God, we've talked about Jane Arms before. Um, I, I would say this is better than Future's End slightly, because it does engage more of the ethical dimensions of time travel. Yeah. Whereas Future's End... It was a fun field trip, but... But Starling is just clearly the villain no matter what. Right, right. right? He's in the most Star Trek of ways. His his motivation is profit. Clearly, he's evil. Like, <laughs> because profit is evil. <laughs> Sorry, Richard. Okay. Um. All right. Wow. Uh. Yeah. I mean, I, I agree. And this is better than Scorpion. I would say. Yeah. Yeah. It's as action packed, but it's got so much more. And it's tighter. It's just uh, the the character the character drama that was one third of the show is all of the show in this one. Okay. All right, well, so a double five for both Year of Hell Parts 1 and 2. That makes a 10 for this second part of the episode, and uh, a whale of a good show. Yeah. Um, hopefully they can keep this up for the rest of uh, the season. Uh, you know, looking forward in some of the stuff that's going to go on, we've got The Killing Game, which is interesting stuff. Um, I have... I have uh, whenever I watch that, whenever... Uh, I'm going to say my thoughts from when we get there, but I have some problems with that episode that tend to inhibit my enjoyment of it, but I'll, we'll, we'll discuss yeah, when we get there. We've got the Omega Directive, which, whatever its problems are, is interesting. Oh, it's a super fun idea. We've got uh, Living Witness, which is a hell of an the, episode. That was, that's the episode that I always think of when I think of, like, a great Voyager episode. That's just a fun idea. We've got Demon. I know a lot of people don't like the Silver Blood Planet, but there is interesting stuff that happens. Mm. Uh, one is a very interesting Seven Alone kind of show. Um, we've got Leonardo coming back. I was about to say Leonardo DiCaprio. I mean Leonardo da Vinci. I really hope in the future people <laughs> recreationally create holograms of Leonardo DiCaprio. Um, you know, this is shaping up to be a, a pretty good season. I gotta say. Uh, you know, we'll see. We'll see. Message in a bottle. I mean, come on. Mm. Oh, well, well, we'll see where we end up. But the, obviously these two parts, very good. Yeah, okay. Well, have a good night. Have a good night, everyone. And live long and prosper. Don't go changing the timeline without our knowing about it, okay? So. Um...